Let me welcome everyone to today's session, uh, which looks at Iran-China relations and uh, tries to separate the fact from the fiction. We have two people who, are, uh, who will be speaking from our institute, uh, Dr. Asif Shuja, who's a senior research fellow and um, uh, is an expert on Iran, and Dr. James Dorsey, who is primarily with the S. Rajaratnam School, but we've been able to sort of entice him over as well as an adjunct with us. Um, and he, uh, you know, um, in, his, in his last life, he was a journalist. Um, and, uh, you know, in his current life, he is a, uh, a prolific commentator. Uh, those of you who know his writings would probably know that um, he writes a great deal about soccer in the Middle East. Um, it's not simply about soccer, it's much more subtle than that. Um, Asif comes from a background of having worked at a number of in, uh, research institutes at, in India before he came to Singapore. Um, he, he speaks Persian, um, uh, always intrigues us with interesting stories of his, uh, why he became interested in Iran. And... Uh, provides for rather lively conversations in, in when, when the group, when we all get together as a group. Let me talk a little bit about today's topic. Uh, most of you would know that there in recent months, um, an apparent 25-year economic and military cooperation agreement between Iran and China was leaked. Um, and there's been an intense debate. Is this part of a uh, is this part of a, um, an ongoing game or was this an, an inadvertent leak or a leak from someone that ought not to have leaked it? How do we interpret or read this, this issue? And this is where we talk about separating the facts from the, the, from the fiction. There are largely two camps that have emerged and you will see this in today's discussion and debate. One school of talk thought takes this reported draft at face value and looks at what it could mean for the Middle East as a region as well as for individual Middle Eastern countries. The other school sees this leaking of the draft as a tactic employed by Iran and China to advance their separate objectives. Um, the jury is out on this. I myself am not sure how I feel about this issue and what it all really means. Uh, this is the how we will proceed for the session. Asif will start, he will make a few comments, and then James will follow. Um, and we will not have uh, a Q&A in the traditional way. Um, I expect that Asif and James are going to have a bit of a debate because they've already been talking about this and they, they, don't, they each have a different perspective on this issue. So once they've said what they have to say, um, I expect that each might challenge the other on some of the ideas that they have put forward. Uh, we welcome the audience to raise your hand and um, identify yourself and you can, uh, you're welcome to comment, ask a question of one of the speakers um, and um, uh, contribute to the discussion. We will not be taking Q&A on the chat, so I would ask you all that if you do have a question to raise your hand and we will, uh, we will unmute you so that you can ask your question or you can make your comment, okay? So let's start. Uh, Asif, I give you the floor. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Michelle, uh, for that 
introduction and set the ball rolling. Uh, since we are about to talk about Iran-China relations and uh, the exact nature of it, uh, first of all, I would just like to throw the fact on the ground. The most recent, uh, uh, you know, uh, United Nations Security Council sanction that happened uh, in that China, and, along with Russia, vetoed against uh, uh, against uh, the proposal that was for the continuation of uh, uh, arms embargo on Iran. So uh, uh, we know that uh, if the armaments are increased in Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia being one of the biggest, uh, uh, you know, one of the uh, biggest stakeholders in the threats emanating from Iran. So uh, uh, it was not good for Saudi Arabia. So uh, despite that, uh, Iran vetoed that, uh, that resolution. So uh, the people are generally talking about uh, whether uh, China is siding with Iran or not. It is for all of us, all of us to see there that China has indeed sided with Iran on this issue. And uh, after the attack on Saudi Arabia, where more than 50% of its oil produce was affected, uh, the threat emanating from Iran or its proxies is even more for Saudi Arabia. So we can understand the threat that is being felt by Saudi Arabia at this point of time and why it was very important for Saudi Arabia to continue that arms embargo against Iran. So again, I would uh, reiterate that this one single incident uh, shows us very clearly uh, the nature of Iran-China relationship, at least at the present moment. So this is for all of us to see. But uh, our eyes are generally innocent. They see what is there. But uh, uh, it is our brain that functions in a manner which uh, compels us to either see or to not to see that particular thing. So uh, what I would intend here to, is to just give a three-dimensional picture of, uh, of Iran-China relationship very briefly. And uh, I will... Uh, 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 leave it uh, for others to uh, see whether this is actually in existence or not. Uh, the first, uh, of course, is related to this 18-page document, uh, document that is being circulated as some kind of secret document uh, uh, purportedly leaked by Iran. This 18-page document, very briefly, what exactly is inside that document? Uh, there are a number of figures floating on the internet, like uh, 280 billion of dollar. Uh, related to oil investment, energy investment, and $120 billion in the investment in infrastructure sector. These figures are not there in the document. So this is one uh, anomaly that I find in most of the writings that are circulated. These figures in that Persian document is not there. Now, there is also a lot of talk uh, uh, that there is a lot of sovereignty that may be ceded after this uh, uh, this uh, deal that is going to be there within Iran and China, all those things are also not there. But of course, what is there is related to uh, a deep, deep strategic relationship between Iran and China, and that is in a descriptive nature, and that is somewhat in an enlarged, enhanced form of the memorandum of understanding between Iran and China. That is available there on the website of Iran's uh, president, uh, uh, Iran's president, Dr. Rouhani. And uh, that was actually the result of the two visits immediately after the nuclear deal. Uh, the first visit was the Xi Jinping's visit to Iran and vice versa, Iran's president visited, uh, visited uh, China. So this is actually 
the product of that. Then uh, there are a number of other uh, figures that are floating around more precisely about 5,000 soldiers being positioned on the territory of Iran to secure the investment of Iran. Where does this figure come from? Uh, this figure has actually come from, from an article published on 3rd of September 2019 by Petroleum Economist. The article which was written by Mr. Watkins, uh, who is uh, not an Iranian. Now this Petroleum Economist, it is, if you, if you go for the ownership of that, uh, of that uh, journal, uh, online journal, you see that the ownership lies with an investment uh, businessman uh, sitting in Texas, in United States. And in 2019, 3rd of September, the means that were spilled that this depth of partnership is being, uh, you know, false between these two powers. It was on that day and uh, even 5,000. So uh, this is the first dimension of it. Uh, that is the 18 page document. The second dimension incidentally is again related to number 18. And that is the lifting of arms embargo that is about to happen on 18th of October next month. So a lot of politics that is doing the wrong related to Iran's international relations and whether Iran is forging such relationship with, with China or not, or why it is hiding against the backdrop of its relationship with or enmity with current enmity, especially after the COVID-19 against the United States. So all those are related to the 18th of October uh, lifting of arms embargo. So that is related to or linked to Iran's international relations. And uh, then the third dimension, again, coincidentally, is linked with 18th, uh, uh, the number 18, and that is 18th of June 2021, when, uh, when the, in Iran, the presidential election is about to happen. So on that territory, on that turf, or the domestic politics of Iran, there are the challenges of Rouhani government. And uh, uh, if you remember that uh, the most proponent uh, 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 the most uh, explicit <laughs> proponent of this idea that there's a secret deal, Iran is being sold out to the China, was Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. And he was uh, for two consecutive terms president of Iran, but subsequently he was barred from contesting by the supreme leader of Iran, but he did challenge his authority and did file his nomination and again was rejected. So this is the position of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. And now this time again, he has been eyeing for that position. And we all of us know that the position of president, especially under this scenario where uh, we see that there could be succession of Ayatollah Khamenei, supreme leader. So he may as well be eyeing that position. So it is very important for, for Ahmadinejad to discredit the present government and the entire camp of reformists or the moderates combined. So that is why this, uh, he did not directly allude to this 18-page document, but a lot of what was enshrined there, he did indirectly uh, without giving those figures or numbers. So this was pulled in the turf of the domestic politics of Iran, and that is why they also started talking about this, uh, about this uh, secret document, and the observers started taking up as if it is something which was actually leaked by the Iranian government, whereas the fact of the matter is that we do not know for sure that it was a document uh, written by Iranian uh, government or whether it was deliberately leaked by them. So what I have intended to do here is uh, to, uh, to, to, to uh, draw a three-dimensional picture 
in these three terms, the documented terms, the international relations and the geopolitics of the current era. And third, of course, the domestic politics of Iran. So under the garb of this, we can see that this is the picture of Iran-China relationship that is being projected. And just very briefly, uh, sorry to take so much of time, I will tell you what exactly is the real nature of Iran-China relationship. We can understand that by looking into the different phases of Iran-China relationship uh, uh, before the sanctions started in 2006, after the sanctions started in the four sets of United Nations sanctions that were imposed between 2006 and 2010, after 2010 when the nuclear negotiations were going on in 2015 it was forced and from 2015 to 2018 when the sanctions were imposed by United States and after that until the current time where the enmity is very very prominent very very evident between Iran between China and United States relations so if you look at all these phases of Iran China relationship you will see that and of course because Iran China is the greatest trading partner of Iran, but but China's only 1% trade is done with, 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 with Iran. That is why we say that Iran has been talking so much about this partnership. China has been muted because for China, it is theoretically speaking one of 100 countries. For China, it is the topmost, for Iran, it is the topmost country. So uh, this is why the confusion that we see emanating from all the writings on the commentaries on Iran-China relationship. This in brief is my contention uh, on the floor and uh, I would uh, stop here and look forward to the counter comments. Thank you. Thank you, that was interesting. James? Thank you, Michelle. Uh, before I go into the thrust of my argument, I want to respond to two things that Asif said. What I agree with Asif, Asif is that in the publicity and the discussion about this document, there is much being read into it that's not in the document. And it's both for, an, indeed, domestic Iranian reasons, as well as foreign reasons. And there's a degree of disinformation going on here, very deliberately. What I don't agree with is that reading the Chinese vote in the UN Security Council uh, on the arms embargo issue, that that was taking sides with Iran. What it, I think it was, China having far bigger fish to fry than, what, than the Middle East itself. And China was not going to allow the United States to uh, sort of at will decide what parts of an agreement that it had dis, uh, discarded it could implement and could not implement, and how it deals with uh, uh, the international world order and the, and the rules governing it. So I think that it was very clear that that's why China just like the Europeans and everybody else on the uh, on the UN Security Council, with the exception of the Dominican Republic, voted against the U.S. What I don't think it was was a clear indication that Chinese policy had changed, and that China was siding with Iran. And the Saudis may not have been happy with the uh, with the Chinese vote, but they knew it was coming, and they didn't say anything about it for that reason. Now, more fundamentally, what I would argue, and that's where we get into the, uh, uh, what Michelle argued at, or, or suggested at the beginning, uh, the school of thought that this may be all an intelligence operation. I think what the draft does do in the text that it is, it's in line with our times. It's really about the politics of fear 
and the politics of transition in the Middle East. And I would argue that China was likely taken as much by surprise by the leaked draft as was much of the rest of the world, but was more than happy to cautiously exploit it for its own purposes without upsetting the apple cart. I think in dissecting the alleged draft agreement, you've got to start with common sense. And the fact of the matter is, it makes no sense. Leave aside what we've already discarded, the notion that Iran would be willing to co concede territory to a foreign power. Fact of the matter is, the numbers are out of whack. Nowhere along the Belt and Road has China committed anything close to $400 billion. Its single largest country investment was supposed to be in Pakistan at 62 billion. And five years after the launch of that investment with the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, CPEC, actual Chinese investment is far less. It's about $25 billion. Finally, China has for the longest period of time sought to walk a fine line and not be drawn into the Middle East's myriad of conflicts. It will continue to do so even if it engages to a greater extent than it has until now. An agreement along the lines of the draft would amount to an abandoning of that policy and be perceived as China having chosen sides against the Gulf states. I can see no reason why China would want to deepen its relations with Iran in this way, at least not until a degree of stability in the Middle East has been achieved. There is also no reason why China would want to further aggravate relations with the United States and make it easier for the US to pressure Israel and the Gulf states to limit their dealings with China, particularly on the eve of a crucial US election. In other words, what we are seeing unfold is not a head-on rush into paradigm-shifting alliances, but a complex longer-term game, a combination of chess and poker that transcends the upcoming US election, but takes it as a first milestone. It's jockeying for positions in what in inevitably is a changing Middle Eastern landscape. It's all about messaging. And that is as true for Iran as it is for China. It also, in anticipation of hopes that a possible Biden administration would seek a way of backing away from Trump's so far failed maximum pressure campaign against Iran and reviving in negotiations with Tehran. It further anticipates an eventual rejiggering of the Middle East security architecture in ways that include Iran and would involve not just the United States, but also China, as well as Russia and possibly India. Although not explicitly stated, it would likely also have to include Turkey and Israel. Returning to negotiations is likely to prove easier said than done. Iran has made clear that a revival of negotiations would not occur by the stroke of a pen. It is demanding that the United States, which unilaterally withdrew in 2018 from the 2015 international agreement that curbed Iran's nuclear programs, return to the deal unconditionally and compensate it for billions of dollars in economic damage inflicted with the imposition of harsh sanctions at the time of the withdrawal. It will take deft mediation by third parties to get the two countries back to the negotiating table. Similarly, a Biden administration while likely to enjoy a degree of goodwill after four years of Trump would have to restore US credibility with the co-signatories of the Iran deal, the European Union, Germany, Russia, and China. Yet the messaging is also important if Trump were to win a second term. 
despite his hard line, Trump has repeatedly signaled that he believes that a deal with Iran is possible and would be willing to meet with Iranian leaders. That could take on added significance in a second Trump administration that is likely to be far more concerned about legacy given that re-election would no longer be an option. Against that backdrop, Iran's messaging is carefully tailored. The draft agreement outlining a kind of alliance with China that would be virtually unprecedented serves to warn the United States and Europe that US policy and failed European efforts to make the nuclear deal worth Iran's while, despite the US sanctions, is driving Iran into the hands of China at a time of a potential decoupling of the world's two largest economies. It also serves to poke a finger at Saudi Arabia, suggesting that Chinese-Iranian negotiations about the agreement prove that when the chips are down, Iran is far more important than the kingdom in long-term Chinese strategic thinking and economic calculations. It's an argument that serves Chinese interests that in recent months have been playing its own game of bluff poker and has some basis in subtle Chinese hints in recent months and years. At the root of Iranian and Chinese shadow boxing is a realization that the current US defense umbrella in the Gulf that is intended to shield Gulf states from Iranian aggression and terrorist attacks is no longer a reliable mechanism and in fact could heighten rather than reduce tensions. Various parties buy into this notion in various ways. Iran has long said that it seeks a regional security arrangement, but in contrast to a Russian proposal and subtle Chinese suggestions that would involve external powers, Iran wants an understanding that does not involve countries from outside the region. The US has not publicly expressed interest in a multilateral security agreement, but has repeatedly said it wished to reduce its commitment to the region. Privately, however, Pentagon and National Security Council uh, officials have discussed the option and not ruled it out, noting that a non-aggression agreement in the Gulf has worked in the past. As always, the devil is in the details, with Iran, Israel, and Saudi Arabia being sticking points. All the fish that the Gulf states and the US have to fry with Iran and vice versa, nuclear programs in Iran and Saudi Arabia, ballistic missile developments in both states, and support for proxies would have to factor into a non-aggression agreement. In other words, there is a close link between reducing tension in the Middle East and any future US nuclear negotiations with Iran. And that is not to mention that regional states, not just Iran, may push for denuclearization of the region, which would have to include Israel. It's hard to see Iran entering into a non-aggression pact that would include Israel without a mutually acceptable resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and without a nuclear agreement and the lifting of all sanctions against Iran. For now, smaller Gulf states appear amenable to a subtle Chinese push for a multilateral security agreement, with only Saudi Arabia having given it a cold shoulder so far. China's response to the draft agreement has been as much a signaling that it has no substance as of now, even if Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif said in recent days that he would be traveling to Beijing to discuss the document, China's response was twofold. An official foreign ministry statement praising relations with Iran in platitudes and generalities, 
at a semi-official op-ed in a second-tier Shanghai Communist Party newspaper written by a second-tier academic. The op-ed noted that much had yet to be negotiated and planned, and that the two countries were nowhere close to finalizing details. It also cautioned that the degree to which China would engage with Iran was a function of US-China relations. The more Beijing and Washington go apart, the freer China will feel in its dealings with Iran. It's a message that no doubt has been heard in Tehran. The bottom line of all of this is that we are witnessing jockeying, shadow boxing, a game of poker, whatever you want to call it, as states position themselves for an inevitable rejiggering of the Middle East security architecture. Driving the transition is uncertainty in Gulf states, as well as in China, about the US regional security guarantee. Hedging bets means for Gulf states, including Saudi Arabia, as well as China, greater engagement. The issue is on what terms. China is signaling, signaling its terms. Conflict management rather than conflict resolution. A non-aggression agreement between Iran, Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia is a precondition. China will not risk that greater goal as well as its carefully crafted relations with all parties on all sides of Middle Eastern divides by engaging with Iran in a way that is envisioned in the draft agreement. It would be throwing the baby with the bathtub out of the window. Thank you. Thank you, James. Asif, would you like to respond? Of course, I would like to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because, uh, uh, Michelle, it's very interesting uh, 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 what James has been doing here. Uh, he has said that there is a draft, uh, there is some content in that draft, and uh, which is not happening. It was leaked by Iran, it is being sold out by Iran, and uh, that selling is also accepted by China because it is also benefiting China. This is what he's essentially been saying. So, uh, of course, we don't know uh, whether Iran leaked this document, but we do know the details of it, right? And uh, uh, so what we can do here is that we can focus on whether uh, it is half the whole mechanism that James has been claiming, uh, whether it has, uh, it, it, it has been having intended effect or not, whether it is benefiting Iran or not. So my uh, argument here is that, uh, that first of all, we have to decouple. Uh, when he says Iran has sent this message, what does he mean by uh, by saying that Iran? Because uh, uh, we know that when we talk about Iran, we might uh, say that it is supreme leader who's been saying that. We might as well say that it is the President Rouhani's government has been doing certain things. In my opinion, uh, this uh, leaking of purportedly leaked draft, I do not maintain it was a draft leaked by the Iranian government. So, but it is 18-page draft. It has not benefited Iran, Iran's supreme leader. It has not benefited Iran's Rouhani government. More specifically, uh, Rouhani's uh, foreign minister, Jawad Zarif, uh, had to face a lot of heat in the conservative-led Iranian parliament because of this draft. And uh, there's a lot of stake because the way it is being sold out by his, uh, by his opponent, uh, primarily led by Mahmoud Ahmadinejad and his conservative uh, camp. It is again damaged a great deal to, to the Rouhani government and the peoples or the, or the forces supporting him. Uh, does it help Rouhani? It doesn't help Rouhani. I, I'll tell you why. 
because uh, see uh, we have been talking about united nation security council sanctions which iran has been uh, which china has been saying that i will not reimpose so what was china's position how was it imposed in the first place it was because china did not veto it all the four set of united nation security council were imposed by iran sorry by 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 the united nation on iran because china in the first place did not oppose it so it it did have the power that uh, these uh, these uh, uh, these uh, sanctions would not have been imposed in the first place but that was the geopolitics of that time that was how china was getting benefited at that time and that is why it did not veto now it is having it is seeing a different ball game altogether i'll tell you what it is in 2017 first of all it is not only our perception that china and united states are having uh, some enmity uh, after coming to power in 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 the united states donald trump the president donald uh, donald trump came out with a national security strategy document where he projected iran as one of the biggest threat to united states of course along with russia then uh, 2018 the state department came out with a similar kind of document and where also iran china was projected as that kind of the uh, enemy to the to, to the united states interest we know that after the shale gas shale gas revolution in united states uh, what is the us interest in the middle east it's not primarily energy and do you know that when us was primarily dependent on the region for energy what was its policy to the middle east the number one focus of attention now china is a great power china requires energy in a similar fashion as united states required required at that point of time but does not do it now so can't we draw a parallel that china's requirement from the middle east would be of the similar nature which united states had at one point of time so why would we imply that china would be siding with iran in such a manner that it would have enmity with all the other players including saudi arabia i i think it is not wise for for the for the for the people who have been following sunzu and uh, whose primary uh, you know motto is that if there is a cross section of interest one of the nine battlefields then you must have alliance with those interest holders this is sunzu's uh, uh, technique so this is what we are seeing Uh, china is having a great deep partnership not as propounded by the purportedly leaked document but yes there is a very deep uh, strategic partnership that it has been uh, forging with iran which is much deeper in degree than saudi arabia and other states and i'll tell you <clears throat> just for the benefit of our uh, our our audience that china does have similar kind of strategic partnership with saudi arabia china has a similar strategic partnership with uh, similar means the nature of partnership not the depth uh, with with united arab emirates uh, in recent years china has and this is a military cooperation china has had twice joint military cooperation with iran and twice in consonant uh, jointly with russia and iran so there are four military cooperation two with russia and iran and two solely with iran china did have this kind of military cooperation once with with saudi arabia it has done this kind of military cooperation in good times in with the united states but what i am implying here is that china is not burning all the bridges burning all the boats but when you uh, take it in a, in a comparative manner china does have and specifically at this point of time very deep partnership or it is looking for a potential deep partnership 
uh, with uh, with with Iran because of these reasons. Why does it come? Why doesn't it come up? Uh, see, there's a website if you if you have a look at it. United against nuclear Iran. Uh, uh, it has a great detail of all the businesses that is happening. Very very small 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 details. So uh, there are some websites. There are some stakeholders who have been documenting all the transactions that are happening so that that serve as a basis for the sanctions of United States to be imposed on those countries or those entities or those people. So uh, uh, it's just one example that I'm giving. Why would China come out all in the open? There's another, another argument I'll give you that, uh, and it is not an official one. It's my understanding that even the data between Iran and China relationship is not collated at one place. Uh, the way uh, New York Times says uh, that, okay, some high profile people reveal or even in petroleum economies, if you go and read it, you know, this $400 billion figure in two parts, 280 and 120, it is not in the document. It is in that Watkins article. And he has said that it was revealed by a high official. My argument is no high official except the supreme leader knows the exact figure between the... Uh, 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 between between uh, the, the trade between China and and uh, and this Iran, because it has been distributed, dissipated, so that it is not leaked in any manner. You know, uh, because if it happens, if it happens, you know the implication. It is not that anybody is afraid of United States as a military power. Like China is not afraid because of its military, but China has to do business with United States. It's not only China as an entity which is doing business with United States. Let us also qualify it. It is a set of private companies residing in China which are doing business with the set of companies in the United States which are legally established there through some laws which are guided by the US government. So that is why I would say again, uh, come back here that James, what is, he's been doing that, <coughs> he, <coughs> he's saying that there's a document <coughs> which is uh, propagated by Iran and then he's saying that it is playing a game and they, then he himself claiming that this game he will, uh, Iran will not win. So I simply do not understand how to, uh, how, how to look at it. But I would again argue that please uh, have a look at the real nature of Iran-China relationship. Let's just save up, uh, uh, some of our time uh, in, in you know, dissipating or you know, marginalizing all those unnecessary you know, uh, figures which are floating around on the internet. Thank you. Thank you. James, I'm sure you have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, uh, let, let me look at points of, uh, let me make one correction first, uh, and then look at first at points of, uh, of agreement and points of, of, of disagreement. I didn't say that Iran was winning this. This is not about winning. It's about messaging. It's about uh, uh, pre-positioning in what is going to be a longer process. It's not about winning this round or not. I don't think that's the case. Uh, that's one. Two, I would agree with, uh, with Asif that this has had a, uh, a domestic fallout. And in some ways, I don't think it's really relevant or not, it's not totally irrelevant, but it's not necessarily the key issue who leaked the document. For all we know, it could have been someone on the hard line in, in, in Iran. Fact of the matter is Iran has basically tried to confirm the document and has not denied it, uh, even though it's become something of a hot potato in Iranian, uh, in Iranian politics. The second point I want to make is on the veto. I don't think there's a comparison 
between uh, this veto and past vetoes. This veto is about the United States. It's not about Iran, as far as China was concerned, or Russia, or Germany, uh, or Britain, or France. It was about a presidency that runs roughshod over international agreements. And I think this was a moment where to say no. In addition to all the other signatories to the Iran agreement wanting to somehow salvage it as, as if at all possible and keep the door open if a Biden administration uh, comes to office. I think let, more fundamentally, and this is I think where, uh, 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 where the crux of the matter lies. The crux of the matter is a much larger picture in my mind. It's a picture in which China is starting to realize that in a con purely economically driven uh, 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 engagement in the Middle East, in which security is no longer reliably guaranteed, is not sustainable. And therefore what China has been doing, and it's been doing that indirectly, if you wish, using intellectuals, think tank people, academics, uh, it's been hinting that there has to be a rethink. And it's been trying to exploit the fact that Gulf states have a problem. Like China, they have to hedge their bets. They're incapable of defending themselves and they don't have a, a, a reliable, no longer have a reliable uh, defense architecture or security architecture in place. That's the big picture. And so you've got to ask yourself why now when what you're really trying to achieve is far more difficult, far more complex, and you don't want to ruffle feathers at that moment. You know, whatever, whether this would break relations, not break relations, uh, it's without question would ruffle feathers. And I think that that is a very different picture from the argument why China voted in the United Nations recently on the, on the, arms, on the lifting of the arms embargo. Uh, 